Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Well, welcome back to Beyond the Fence Line. This is Chad Ellis, your host for today's episode. It's been a few months uh, since I've been here with you all, and and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the staff and uh, their opportunities to host here the last few months and kind of share their expertise. Um, you know, joining me today is a longtime friend, uh, partner in crime, brother in Christ, um, Mr. Michael Vance. So, welcome, Michael. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to having a conversation, and and uh, we have a lot of them, so I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, <laughs> provide some, hopefully, some gold nuggets to some some of the listeners out there. Yeah, I think we will. You know, I think uh, you know, I always, you know, I never edit these podcasts and, and we may ha- end up having to edit this one because we could you know <laughs> you and talking and it may be too long and no one wants to listen right so yeah yeah we could chase some <laughs> rabbits pretty quick so. <laughs> you know michael i mean one of the things that we do at talt you know that i'm uh, you know really proud of and and and, and what i'm proud about it is we just gain a lot of information and, and a lot of action and we've we've taken a lot of things and it's our really our working lands uh, innovation summit that we host every year. And, uh, you know, I know I tried to get you to come on this, our last one and, and like your schedule and we'll kind of dive into this. Uh, uh, you weren't able to make it. And uh, we had a panel really, which, I mean, to me, I still think about this panel. We had what I kind of had is kind of the next generation, right. Or up and coming, land stewards and really kind of talk about, you know, your needs and what you, you know, look at in the future of what are the pinch points? What are you scared about? What are the things you're going to need to be successful, right? When we have a lot of these conversations, we're talking to, you know, older guys that are, you know, sort of kind of at the end of the career and, uh, you know, their perspective is a little different. And I don't think we ever hear from like your side of the story. And so really glad you're here to kind of dive into this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I think we bring a little different insight too, because we did not inherit a ranch. Um, and so we're kind of, we're kind of on the outside looking in, but there's a lot of producers that are in that pool. And, and thankfully I think we, we've come along at a time when there's a lot of, uh, ranch ownership that that no longer necessarily is a full time producer on their ranch, or or maybe the 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 heirs aren't aren't interested in that, and so there's a, there's there's a lot of opportunity for partnership, um, and uh, I think you know that gets us pretty excited. Some of the opportunities that we've seen in the last you know the last four or five years, and we think that'll continue um, to to grow. Just kind of maybe dive in a little bit more of your, kind of your experience and insights. To some of this too, and and, and I think that layer, and I, and I think, you know, your your situation, like you said, isn't unique, right? There's a there's a lot of folks that can inherit that that want to, you know, have their business and and uh, steward the land, but you know, you just got to find other ways. You know, what are some of the unique challenges you've encountered in the context of just land stewardship? 
And, you know, you having that land ethic to to put that land stewardship on lands that you don't own, right? That that yeah. you may not have access to in the future. Well, you know, you really just to, to begin, you got to have a little different mindset. You know, I guess when I was young in this, you know, the goal was to have a ranch and to pay it off and to grow it, you know, buy all your neighbor's land. And you're kind of like you, we've seen our dads and our granddads mm-hmm. do and, you know, and, and, uh, but for us, we didn't get that opportunity. Um, my dad was the one that had to leave the farm during the eighties when things got tight because there wasn't enough income for everyone to stay on the farm. And, um, you know, now with the opportunities that are out there, you, you know, I would say that the biggest challenge is, is really being, short term and being mobile. Um, that's probably the, the first challenge is it, you have to get out of the mindset of, Hey, I'm going to park here and live here the rest of my life. Um, it's just that, 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 that opportunity is very rare. I mean, you don't, you don't see many 99 year leases out there and you don't see land that can be bought and paid for with cattle. And so unless you've got one of those two things and then the second one almost doesn't exist at all, and if you're starting, you know, from bare ground in terms of capital, you know, you kind of have to grow as you have opportunities and you have to go where the opportunities are. And so for us, we've had to learn as a family, you know, what are the trade-offs to, you know, we, we, we lease a lot of country and big country. And, and so we have to go where the leases are and there's trade-offs with that. Right. But, but, I'll tell you, it's real interesting when you, when you get to manage different types of country over, over like for us, especially the last two decades, I feel like you stay outside of the box. You live in a different paradigm. You don't have to be constantly reminded to, to stay in a, in an outside the box way of thinking when you're constantly moving and mobile, um, you're a lot, you know, I, I say it's similar to an artist. You're just constantly evolving and changing and building on what you've got. And it's just a, I think it's a healthier place. It's really similar to where, what you see most other business industries uh, ha- have to be to, to survive. You have to constantly evolve. And right. I think I think for us as ranchers and producers that are, are kind of in a, in a different, you know, kind of being that next generation that maybe didn't inherit the place. And even for those that inherited there, I think they're in the same, uh, they have to be in the same way of thinking to survive we're in a different time period. Um, and even, even the markets, um, right now the cattle market is, uh, you know, we, we're going through another, we're climbing the mountain again. Right. And everybody's looking back to 13, 14, 15 and, Oh, you know, and, and I hear people say, well, now that it's going back up, I'm getting out. But I, I really think and I've, I've had this conversation with, I mean, probably eight or 10 people in the last two months that, uh, I kind of wonder, you know, everybody just expects the cattle market to go up and come back down. But, I really think we finally hit that pinch point when it comes to supply and demand and with the, with the limited resource being land. Right. And, you know, we've talked about it. You guys talk about it. We've all talked about it for decades now. And I think we're there. Um, I think we're to the point, you know, the cow numbers are way down and I don't think they're coming back. I don't think they can come back. And, and nobody's really talking about that. And so if you really think about that, it's a whole nother, you, you go, what, well, if it doesn't come back, what are the opportunities where they're kind of endless? And it kind of gets me excited where I'm not, you know, a lot of people are worried about the market. You know, what's, what's going to happen when it goes back down next year. But I'm, I'm kind of more in the mindset, like, Hey, we, we may be in a long-term, uh, upward cycle just due to the fact that 
you know, we've got the upper hand on the supply and, but, but it all ties back with, with, you know, what, what Todd is doing and, and the fact that there's just not a lot, enough land to supply the beef for all the people that, that need it in this country. So, so really how do you see the market trends affecting the future of our Texas working lands? <laughs> you know, I think, I actually think it's, I think the working lands are affecting the market more now, you right. know, um, I think that, uh, you, you know, it's amazing how many people are getting, getting out right now, an older generation. And they've, you know, have had, they've had people knocking on the door to buy that land. Um, and a lot of them aren't even going to sell it, but they're getting it ready to pass down the next generation that probably is going to sell it. Right. Um, and, and honestly, um, there are cheaper places to ranch. And so you, there's just some of that stuff that you're not going to stop, unfortunately. Now, I would like to see it stopped, um, especially in some of our, our better habitat areas. But, um, you know, I'm so thankful for what you guys are doing because y'all are helping slow that down some. And you're offering incentive, you know, an incentivized way for people to, to keep it in ranch land. Um, but it, it's it's just going to – it's. I think that the lack of supply of grazing land is just going to – it's never had a, an effect on the market. Like it's, it's going to have over the next decade. Um, and, and now I think at some point that'll balance out because, you know, there'll be a price and, and I think there'll be some value back to the animal and then therefore value back to the land. Um, but I hate to see it go through a downward cycle for a long time to, to get back to that point to maybe ever balance out, you know? Um, and I don't know that it could ever balance out cause we still want to well, supply plan, you know? But, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? We're losing close to a thousand acres a day. Right. Yeah. To our, our, our parking lot. So yeah. I mean, to your point, um, you know, there, there's an imbalance there. Right. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and then you hope some of these other ecosystem markets that are coming along, um, yeah. they're going to help balance it. And I think even to the point where, there will be families, especially maybe the generation, the next generation families that decided to sell the ranch right. and take it out of production that maybe the, you know, their kids, when their kids get to production age and maybe, you know, they start asking the questions of the what ifs, like what if, what if we would have kept the ranch? I wish, you know, or you see that now I, I've got quite a few friends that are maybe in their, um, they, they've established themselves and they've got some, uh, you know, some extra income and they're trying to put their family ranches back together uh-huh. in areas that are getting developed. I, I, I know a two or three offhand, and I'm talking about pretty large parcels and they, they went off and made their money, money in other industries, but their goal is to put that ranch back together. And then, yeah. but they're doing it for their, for their kids and their grandkids. And it's, you know, and, and, you, and man, you, uh, that that's really cool to see, but I think, yeah. I think when we go through that balance cycle, like we're talking about, we're going to see more. I think there are going to be people that look up and go, man, I wish we wouldn't have let go of that ranch. Um, yeah, I wish we would have found a land, you know, a lease partner, like somebody like us, or, you know, there's plenty of others out there like us that would have helped us manage the place until maybe that next generation comes along. Um, you know, if somebody called me today and said, look, we want you to lease this ranch, but our grandson is, is going to want to run cattle on this ranch when he's old enough. Maybe he's, in high school and he's going to go off to college, but he needs yep. somebody to help him, help him learn how to manage the ranch and do it right. And then whenever he's, he, he's confident in it, 
he, you know, he's going to take it back over. I would be just fine with that. And, and I think you, I think for us, we need to look for those opportunities. Like, you know, we've, we've, we've actually done some small leases like that. People have bought land and they want to learn how to run cattle. So we've leased it and we'll lease it for two to three years until they kind of get the hang of what we're doing. And they go, okay, I think, I think we can do it. And, and most of them have, they have the capital. They just don't have the knowledge. And, right. and it's, it, we, we lease it and we enjoy it. And, and, you know, I, I think it's our way of, um, it, it's a trade-off. We, we're paying it back. We're also getting the lease and we're educating. And, um, I, I think there's going to be more opportunities like that. And they're exciting. You know, they're, they're, they're way, you know, you, you really build bridges that way. So. Yeah. I mean, I think mentorship and, and, you know, having those folks you can lean on for advice are so important. I mean, who is, you know, maybe some of those mentors that, you know, had a significant impact on your journey, you know, on your, your journey of this land stewardship, Michael. Man, I've got, I got quite a few. (laughs) I've been (laughs) blessed. You know, uh, I feel like most men can, can count their true good friends on one hand. And I I feel like that I've got probably four handfuls. Um, the good Lord has blessed, blessed me and surrounded, surrounded me with some really powerful men and women, um, in terms of, uh, wisdom. Um, I, you know, uh, I would, I mean, I would start with, uh, Yates Adcock would be at the top of the list. I mean, Yates has got, brought me out into this country and and taught me a lot and really got me thinking outside the box. Um, there's a guy named Kenneth Graves back in Mississippi when I was in college there that, and he still doesn't know this. He would, he would never guess this if he was listening to the podcast, but he's one of those guys that gave me a chance um, and believed in me and trusted me with things. Um, even, you know, there was a guy, I, I remember one of my first really, I guess one of the jobs where I first, somebody put some trust in me, there was a guy named Glenn Gillen and he ran a, a really good grocery store there in town and I was 16 years old, needed a job. And I didn't become a manager in that store cause I was too young, but he pretty much gave me managerial duties there. And it's because he believed in me and he trusted me. And you just get to the point where you feel like you can do anything if you, if you, if you're surrounded by the right people. And, you know, and I'll say that, you know, you know, I was fortunate to come on as an intern at Noble, man, I can't remember the years now. And and you were there and there, there was, you know, that, that was a group, there was a group there that was as solid as I'd ever been around. I mean, just a group of people, Deke Alcar, Steve Swaggart, um, Hugh Aljo, you were part of that. Mariah Johnson came on a little bit later, Jeff Goodwin, um, Rob Cook, you know, I mean, you're looking, I mean, it's just, it's just a, it was just a board of all-stars, you know, what, you know, if you look up now, but I think then not everybody knew that, you know, and I think it was my mentorship. I had a few guys like, like the Yates in the world, but then I was surrounded by some some people that were more like just you know, more probably closer to my age, you know, a little bit older maybe, but sure. more sure. just just good stout people. And it it was almost like I couldn't fail. Um, and and or even when I failed, there were still more opportunities out there. And you know now, I mean, all those people I consider fr- you know really close friends now. Um, and, you know, there's quite a few in the ranching world, you know, but they're all, I, I think they're all, you know, y- you know, I would say that they're, we're, we're all just, uh, we're all friends, you know? Um, I, I think, you know, a- another guy, you know, 
Dan Glenn, Ted Miller. Those are two, yep. you know, right solid. Yeah, yeah. Just, just yeah. guy, you know, what I've learned in this deal is have guys you can, you can call and bounce things off of. Um, I had a phone conversation with a, with a new customer the other day and he was new and young and, and you can tell with a new customer or somebody that's kind of new in the industry, they're talking to you and they, they feel like they're taking your time. And with right. some people I could see, I could see that, you know, some people don't want to give you their time, but you know, I, was, I told him, I said, don't feel, you can call me anytime. Like if I, if I'm too busy, I won't answer. I'll call you back when I have time to talk. That's how we build relationships. I mean, we're in the relationship business, right? I mean, you guys are in the relationship business. I'm in the relationship business. I mean, we're raising a commodity product, but we're in the relationship business. I mean, this is, and it, and it makes it fun. I mean, if it wasn't for the relationships, none of what you do or what I do, it really no, wouldn't be enjoyable. You know, well, yeah, it's, it's, be successful. yeah, there's no yeah, way. It's like, it, it's like you and I like to hunt together, but right. the stories we tell, like, I mean, there's some, we've taken some nice animals and stuff, but it's, it's the people. It's like, who was in that group that, that, right. you know, that, that, that trip here, that trip, who, who was in there that made that group. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade that stuff for anything. You know, I don't care what we harvested. It has nothing to do with that. It, it's, it, you know, I, you know, as long as I got food on the table, it doesn't matter how much money we made. It's, it's, it's relationships, you know? Um, right. Right. No, there's no doubt about it. Right. And, and those relationships, I mean, take you a long ways. I mean, you know, kind of talking about our hunting trips is, you know, memories of a lifetime. Right. And, and, uh, you know, just being able to know that you're not in it alone. Right. And, yeah. uh, you can pick up the phone and ask a question or get feedback or need help. I mean, it's just so, so important. And I think, uh, most people don't understand that. Right. And, yeah. Uh, well, it's we live in a dog eat dog world, and so right. um, and we do even even like I mean, let's just look at you know agriculture and leases, like whether it's farm leases or grazing leases, it's a little bit dog eat dog. Right. Um, I've recently let go of some 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 leases, or 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 kind of you know we we decided to different ways, and I've had other people call me on those leases. And the first thing I tell them is like, Hey, I'm glad you're calling me, you know, let's, let's talk through this. And I, and I, and I hope they get a shot at it, but I think, I think they're not even used to that. They're, they're like, you, you would never call the guy that had the lease before you had it. And, and, uh, and so, it, but it's like, Hey, I want, I want that, 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 uh, grazing land to go back into another steward's hands and be managed correctly, you know, whether it be the way I manage it or not, but be, be man that ecosystem be managed and but it's kind of like that i think we're we here here in america we're we're so dog eat dog sometimes we forget that th there's room for all of us um and if we can all if we can all you know like dan glenn he, he you know some people could consider him a competitor of mine we raise the same type of bulls and but man, we, we push each yeah. other in our own regions and we support each other and we sell bulls for each other, you know, and yeah. it's fun. Like it's, it's, uh, and if there's, if, 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 if we have to cut each other to, to make, to make a living, we need to quit and go do something else. Um, right. and, and it's easy to say that for somebody that you really like, there's, there's people out there that I don't like as well. And so I have to remind <laughs> myself at times on those, you know, but it, it is, um, it's, it's part of that maturity process, right? Like we, we learn that, um, Hey, if I have to cut somebody down or if I have to be negative towards somebody else to, 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 to push myself forward, am I really, am I, am I really doing what, what I should be doing or, or no, I should, you know, I, you know, I need to go 
I mean, I need to go flip burgers before I do that, you know? And so, um, that's been something that, that I think for me, I've had to learn how to do that a little bit. I've always, you know, when you're young and hungry, you, you just, yeah. Um, you focus on yourself, but as you mature as a human, you, you, you learn and good Lord kind of shapes you. You learn there's room there's everybody at the table. And if we help each other, it, it'll sure make things a lot easier on everybody. You know, you know, one some of the things you kind of brought up that kind of want to pick your brain on or kind of dive in a little deeper, maybe is, you know, this relationship component and you know this dynamics right of 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 you being a hundred percent leased country you know we have the some of these landowners that you know may not know the business right they inherited or they bought property you know they're looking to lease to somebody you know a land steward to take care of it but there's a disconnect right they don't really understand what land stewardship is and then also, they don't understand the value of what you do, right, in that stewardship and that you're actually increasing the value of their property. And, you know, you have some landowners that are trying to maximize, right, dollars today for the lease. But, you know, again, becomes that relationship of having a relationship of a good land steward like yourself and, and being able to work with you and look at it more of not just a leasee, but a partner, and a partnership in a way where your land stewardship's increasing their asset, right? And how do we, yeah. you know, how do we start breaking that or, or educating or kind of the getting the light bulb moment, right? Where they truly understand that. And have you had that where you finally kind of broke through and they saw the light and realized that? Well, that that is one of the toughest things. You've got several different types of uh, landowners out there, and you know that um, right. some of them are just pure investment, and they, you know, it's going to eventually get broke out, and so they don't really have any care in the world for conservation. Um, and so, with those, you kind of just go in, and you know that it, it doesn't matter. Um, and and fortunately for us, we've been able to get away from those type of leases um, right. at one at one point you know, we had to take them, but uh, uh, we've been blessed in, in a way with, I, I guess that's where the relationships come in. You, you really define, if you really care about taking care of the land and improving it, you need to find landowners that, 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 that's part of their long-term goal. They may not know what it looks like, but yep. they know they want to improve the land. They want to improve the ecosystem, or maybe they want to, you know, what we're seeing more now is they're wanting to produce a healthy food product a healthy and untainted food product. You know, I'm seeing a lot more of that. And there's several ways to do it. You, you've got, you know, the first thing you've got to do with any, anytime you lease a property, in my opinion, you've got to sit down with the landowner and find out what their goals are. Mm-hmm. And you have to put a plan together that meets their goals. If you can't, if you can't meet their goal before you meet yours, you need to, you, you, you either need to have another discussion or you, that's probably not the right fit. More than likely, it's probably not the right fit, but um, maybe another discussion will, will lead to some some changes on their end. But generally speaking, I don't want to change a landowner's goals. They have their goals. They have their thoughts. What I like to see is a landowner has got some skin in the game. And I would say probably the that's one reason we always go for the hunting. If we can get the hunting rights, we always get them because generally I have found through through the through the hunting leases. Um, either through the grazer leasing the hunting or the landowners 
caring about the hunting a lot. And so you may be helping them with the hunting by planting food plots or, you know, providing some diversity in the pastures, things like that. That's been a really good avenue because wildlife for your, are an indicator, right? I mean, um, uh, wildlife and the habitat, they, they require, they're an indicator. And so if you can get somebody that either cares about the wildlife is a hunter, if you can get them to go hunting, I mean, that, that's what I get excited about when you meet a, maybe you're looking at a lease and, you know, we've got one right now where we've got the grazing and the hunting, but landowners are allowed to, to hunt within our lease. And I wanted that. Like I, I, I would have been upset if they did not want that because I want them out here. I want them, I want them to be in a deer stand when the sun breaks in the morning and hear the birds chirping and see the nesting and, you know, I want them to see what those, the deer and turkeys are, are, are foraging on, you know, um, is it something that we planted? Is it something that's native? You know, you want them to, to start, you want them to just stop and soak it in and start asking questions. The other thing would be ownership and some of the, some of the, some of the animals and right. some of the, you know, becoming maybe a partner in business to some degree. Because then they start understanding the dynamics of what you're trying to do. When they realize all the balls you're juggling to try to make it make money, plus you're trying to improve their their property, it helps them become more understanding. And then even, you know, for instance, just you know, I'll say one of the biggest things that that that's been, I guess, a pinch point for us and landowners is 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 a batwing mower. Um. We live in Texas and, and a lot of Texas wants, you know, the landowners, they want their place looking like a golf course, but right. they also want quail and they want deer and they want to see cattle out there grazing. And, and there is a place we, a mower, a, a batwing mower is one of our largest tools that we use in, in our management, but you know, it can be very detrimental. Um, you know, I have some thoughts on, on turkeys and quail and nesting, um, and, and I think the you know I personally feel like you know a batwing mower is one of the the, the biggest obstacles that that those that yeah. nesting birds have had and, and but you see that with landowners if if you can you know if you if you can start that conversation they're like man you know why are we not seeing quail well we probably need to stop mowing during the nesting season <laughs> you know and and uh, yeah. you know yeah. but if they're asking questions and they care then mm-hmm. that gives you a chance to help them make some changes or, or them to allow you to make some changes. And, you know, you start connecting some of the dots with them and it's fun because you're learning together, but it takes somebody that's got some skin in the game. They, they've got to be there. They've got to be eyes wide open. They've got to be paying attention. But fortunately we're living in a time period where I feel like this generation of ranch land owners, you know, that I'm, I'm seeing, especially in the last five years, people are very conscious of, what else is out there besides just the livestock? Um, and it's, to me, that's exciting. Uh, even to the point, if a landowner came to me and said, Hey, I'd like to, to maybe cut our cattle numbers a little bit because we want to see more of this animal or this animal. I, I, I'm more than happy to do that because that means we're being ecosystem minded. That is a trade off that I'm willing to take every time, you know? And, and so in my experience, those are the things that, that we've done. And, and then, you know, lastly being a, a you take a ribeye to somebody that was raised off their pr- property and is raised, especially if it's a, um, you know, you know, forage based type type ribeye, maybe right. finished it with some grain or something like that. But, you know, that was raised primarily on their place and on their grasses, man, they're, yeah. they're, ain't, much, they're ain't much better than yeah. that, you know. Nothing tastes better than that. 
no, it, it doesn't, you know, uh, you know, my hat's off to you, Michael. And, and, you know, I, you know, we're best friends and I've seen, you know, a lot of these operations, a lot of different operations you've leased over the years. I don't know of really anyone else besides you on these that what you just said, you follow to a T, right? And understanding those landowners' goals. And there's times that you graze and do things to meet their goals that you know is not going to be economical for you, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not how you would graze if it was like your place and your everything and, and, uh, you know, um, but at the long, the long, you know, aspect of like you're saying, it, it pays off. And uh, yeah, and, it, and it's part of that maturing process. You know, you learn yeah. um, what battles to fight. You, right. There's trade also with everything. Um, you know, it's just like anything. It's usually not as as nothing's as bad as it seems or is probably as good as it seems. And uh, but we've been blessed. You know, what are some other challenges and opportunities in land stewardship that you're seeing across the state? When you realize, you know, you look at some of these ranches now in Texas and what they cost to own, and you, you know, you're a young family like we've got, and you can make a decision where I, I'm going to save up enough money to buy a ranch, or you know, what I've seen, you know, I go looking at that, you know, by the time I'm I'm old enough to save up enough money to buy a nice size ranch in Texas, <laughs> I probably won't be in healthy enough to to physically manage it, you know, and, and <laughs> that's why um, you got three boys. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, now I hope for my boys it's different than that. My goal is my goal is to ha- is to maybe my boys to have a little different opportunity than I've had. You know, some of the, you know, some of the things we're building. I'm hoping to where they have maybe stronger opportunities than than I than 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 we necessarily have because I think they're going to have to. You know, just but with the like I, we were talking earlier with some of the land downsizing and things that we're going to continue to see but thankfully there's landowner partners out there that give us the opportunity to do things that we would never be able to do without those partners and um you know i, I think at the end of the day if you realize that and, and and i want them to be as happy as my family is to be on the property and we you know and it's got to be one of those situations where I, i've learned and it's something i learned from I, I'll say I learned from Yates. Um, you know, he used to say, and he still does, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you, you want, when you're in a partnership, you want the other person to care as much about you as you do about them. And if you're in a relationship like that, and I would say, you know, if, if there's a landowner out there listening or, you know, a, a tenant, I think, I think those are words of wisdom right there and getting a relationship where you care about, you care more about the other person than you do yourself. Um, it's kind of like marriage, you know, marriage is like that. When you learn to, when you learn to care more about your, your wife, than than you do yourself, that's when you really become a good husband, you know, I'm still working on that. (laughs) My my wife would tell you, but, um, you know, it's like that with these, you know, and thankfully it's, and it doesn't happen overnight. You'll go through some partnerships and you'll go through, through some, you know, leases, but, um, the good Lord sure has blessed us with some good people and some good relationships, you know? And, and so, um, hopefully that continues and, and, uh, we'll continue to ranch as long as that's, you know, we have those opportunities. What are, I mean, what are some of these other challenges or, or even opportunities that you're seeing across the state? The major one's probably labor. I mean, the cost yeah. of labor, um, yeah. even if you can find labor, uh, finding good labor, I can't hardly afford it. Um, right. 
And so I've gone to more, I, this is something interesting that I'll throw out that I've found it. I've got a, for instance, I've got a, a retired farmer that comes and helps me plant in the, in the fall. And, um, man, I love the heck out of him. He shows up in a horse trader parks it and he goes to work and I pay him well, but he's not here. You know, he's here for a month and I, I can't afford to pay him every day of the year, but I can afford to pay him well for, for a month. And then he'll, he'll probably be back in the spring. And, you know, during times when he wants to work, he's always got work here. Um, thankfully I'm looking more at stuff like that. The other thing that I'm looking at is doing some partnerships with other cattle guys that, you know, maybe a guy has a, has a few cows, but he needs a, he needs to be able to run a few more, maybe, maybe give him, you know, you know, sublease him some of the stuff we've got leased or let him run some cows with ours because to find really good help that's worth something, you, you've got to find a way to trade that out or do something um, to make it worthwhile to them. Uh, the other thing that I've looked at is uh, we get opportunities to look at lease land. Sometimes it's quite a ways from us. I always look at my sphere of influence and see who I might know or who I might know who might know somebody close to that lease. To, I mean, me and you've done that several times on different places where I call you up and say, Hey, there, there's a, there's a lease down here in this County and it's not very big, but if I knew somebody that was right down the road, I might, I might throw some cows on it and, and pay them to, you know, kind of check those cattle daily or something like that. Or if we can't find anybody, maybe we, we just, we just you know, find somebody good to, for that person to, you know, for that landowner to lease it to and help them connect the dots. And I think that's really paying it forward there. We, you and I have done that together quite a bit. And I think we'll do a lot more of that. We're, and, and that's again, where relationships matter. People that might know you and I that, you know, that have good relationships with us. We have a, you know, lease pop up like, Hey, I, I know, I know somebody would be a really good tenant down there. I'm not even going to try to pull that one off. Like, you know, you need to call this guy and we've done that. And I think, I think, but it goes back to that labor thing. We're, we're trying to think outside the box on, on the labor situation. Um, we're, we're kind of looking more as everybody's just a partner and, um, but you know, labor's a big one. Um, right now cost of interest is, is, is a big one. Um, and, but that's everybody, right. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's it's a line item expense for us, but it's it really makes you think about everything before you do it right now. But just because the interest costs, like some of the heifers we own this year, I think they cost like uh, you know we probably had seventy eighty dollars a head in them just in interest. Well, when you have that big of a line item that hasn't been there that big in a long time, it, it really makes you think about things. But I think that's the that and um, uncertainty. You know, there's always uncertainty, uncertainty in the market, uh, even leases. You know. We've been talking about that. You know, you can get a 10-year lease, but in my mind, there's always ways out of, there's ways to get out of these leases. And so yeah. your bit, when you lease ground, and, and, and I'll even say this, if I've got a 10-year lease and all of a sudden I realize the landowner doesn't want me there, I don't want to be there anymore. Right. And and I don't want to do, I don't want to create any kind of festered situation. And, um you know, we just signed a long-term lease on, on a big place. And if that guy, if that, if that guy came to me now and said, Hey, we need to do something different, we'd, we'd figure something out because everybody needs to be happy and everybody needs to be on the same page. And so with, with that thought in mind, you really have, if you're in our shoes, you got to build your business model. Even if we were just to say, Hey, we're, you know, you know, what if I get sick or, or, you know, you know, what what can happen here or there you've got to have a business model that can even if you had to sell out today you need to be able to survive that and that's not easy 
Um, that you can't build that overnight. You can't just jump in the cattle business and have that. But over time you can, you can lower your basis in your cattle. You can uh, pay off debt. Um, you know, you can have some insurance policies There's things you can do, but that's one of our goals is to where I think about all the things that can happen, you know? Uh, um, and, and I think that's one of the hardest things, not only for people with leases, but just in general, um, how many times do you, you know, a, a ranchers that pass away and then the family is kind of left holding the bag. Like, what, are, what do we do with these cows? What, you know, I've, yep. I've helped quite a few families in those situations and you're just like, just, you know, and you're boy, it is a mad rush, you know? And, uh, my goal is for where if something happened to me and we're not there yet. We're working on it, but to where at least we have a plan and financially we'll, we'll be okay. And then the same, same, but the same thing happened with leases. We dropped leases or if, if I was to get hurt, I wouldn't want a landlord to, to, to be strapped. Um, if, if somebody else is going to have to come in here and manage this, our, our business for us, um, uh-huh. you, you know, and so I think, I think that's one of the biggest obstacles is, is being able to build a business that can survive all those, all those different things and make money, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, we talked about your three boys and and thinking of the future and that aspect. I mean, what's your I mean, what's your vision for the future of Texas working lands and what steps do you believe are necessary to ensure their sustainability for those future generations? Boy, that's a loaded question. Um <laughs> I think there's going to, ha- I think the, the good thing about Texas and, and this will be a lot of your Midwestern states as well. We got to continue to see people that love the land, put money back in the land. Um, so yeah. even if somebody that goes out there and makes, makes money in another industry, if they love the land, I want to see that person invest back in land. Yeah. Now I think that's going to happen because land is, 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 is one of the most limited resources we have. And thankfully, we are seeing that. We're seeing people come back and buy ranches and are going to keep them in, 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 in a ranch, in a working ranch, or at least keep them in an ecosystem. I think that's got to happen. I think there's got to be incentive out there. I really, as bad as I hate to say this, I, th- I want it to be private funded as much as possible. But I think, I do think we're at the point where our government, from a food sustainability standpoint, if we're going to be sustainable, in this country on food, our government really needs to think about what we're going to do with this lack of production land. And I'm not saying create a lot of subsidies or anything like that. I'm just saying there needs to be incentives out there for people to own land and to keep it in working lands. Um, I think there could be some real tax incentives put out there that could do some things. Um, I'm not going to get into all that because I'm not smart enough to put it all together, but I I want it to be, I want it to be incentivized. I want it for, I want it to be a good thing for me to invest back in working lands and not just to buy a ranch to run around and play and shoot deer and, but to actually with the mindset of, Hey, we're going to buy that ranch and enjoy it, but we're also going to be a part of the sustainable food system in this country. And we're, I don't feel like our government is, is taking that serious right now. Um, yeah. I mean, they really need to be, I mean, it, it, and, and I'm the last guy that wants a handout or a subsidy or anything, but, but from, yeah, I mean, if, from a I consumer, it, when I put the consumer hat on, I'm concerned, you know, where, you know, I mean, even to the point where let, let's just say, are we, are, is the common, uh, 
you know, middle-class family going to even be able to afford to eat beef at some point because we can't supply enough of it to keep the price down. Right. Um, I don't ever want hamburgers to get to where people can't afford to eat them. They're headed that direction with the lack of land. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the key, right? And, and I think what you said, right, is not about handouts. It's about incentives and finding other ways. And, you know, I yeah, always think about right. this. And this is one I'm thinking about, Michael, and, 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 and one that I think actually, you know, just throw it out there to fit this conversation. And Colorado is a good example. You know, Colorado has actually a tax incentive um, for conservation easements. And so, you know, because they have a state income tax, they can utilize, uh, you know, they can take that, take the, those tax credits from that conservation easement and sell it on the market, right, to others. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but it becomes really sort of this, you know, in essence, a free market approach, this incentive based, but it's, you know, open to the market. But it becomes an income stream. And, you know, yep. you sit there and you fast forward to that, you know, why couldn't we develop that same model, but on a on a national, you know, income yep. kind of tax incentive where you could do a conservation easement to your point. We'd keep the land in a you know working landscape and productivity um, for food security, et cetera, in the future, um, you know, I think is, is a, you know, the, the model has been shown to work. Um, yeah. It worked very well, and I think it could definitely um, work nationwide. And I, yeah, I, and I think there's so many things that could come down the pipe that would be added to that. You know, um, I, I think I think we need to find ways to incentivize incentivize you know partnering with with uh, you know production businesses um, in any any capacity, whether you're in a row crop operation or you know, you're grazing cattle or sheep or goats. I mean, I think we've got to find a way to secure the food system in, in our country and we're, we're not doing a very good job of it. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, that, that's a, you know, when you talk farm bill and some of the things that, 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 you know, some of the discussions we're part of, you know, on a regular basis, in my opinion, we don't hear enough. Um, and I think it's going to be, on our door i think it's on our doorstep now and and it's it's going to be knocking here pretty soon and and i don't think we're ready for it um and i think the market's going to probably dictate what happens next but i hope that people are awake and paying attention and figuring out okay we need to do something and 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 thankfully though i think we you know here in texas definitely we've got we've got enough people to kind of help keep a lot of these working lands in working lands i think um or at least I hope, <laughs> you know, I hope, I hope that's the case. So, right. Yeah. Our biggest challenge, right. Is, is we don't have the, the incentives, right. We don't have the buckets of money to help pay for, you know, a purchased easement and, you know, a lot of families yeah. need the purchase side and that's where, you know, we got to look at alternatives and innovations of these other incentive based or, or, yeah. uh, you know, other, other ways to, to help, help keep it. Well, it, it, and it, even and even look at it from this angle. I mean, especially here in Texas, the the value of ranch land in Texas is insane, especially compared to other states. Right. And so, on a percentage basis, you when you ask a family to to retain the ranch and they don't have any, maybe they don't they don't take any enjoyment on the ranch. Maybe they're, uh, yeah. um, you know, they, they don't they don't they don't utilize the ranch in any way. It's hard to talk them into 
having a reason not to sell that place. Right. Um, you just hope the next person that buys it is in production agriculture or wants to keep it in an ecosystem in some form or fashion. But as the as this land goes up in value, to me, it's more important than ever for those incentives. And we're, and that's why we're I feel like we're behind the eight ball. And all that. I mean, um, we should have had it incentives decades ago for this. And especially here in Texas for the, for the, for the value in that, in that, in that land, um, and what the value is, you know, the value of it is to, for commercial or residential, you know, housing. And I think Texas could really make a statement if, if, if we could do some things here that, that, you know, other states, you know, are going to see as their, as their land values continue to increase, um, similar to what we've seen here. Well, I, I mean, I've enjoyed this conversation and and i could keep going on for hours and as our listeners don't know is that you work 24 hours a day and it's 10 <laughs> o'clock and this is the best time to find you have actually stopped working for a minute and yeah and uh you know big thanks again michael and you know for you know for for joining us today but more importantly uh you know for your friendship and the land stewardship you know, that you've, you've done and provided not only for your family, but for, uh, you know, all Texans, right. And all those families of not just the, the, you know, the beef that you're providing, but, you know, open space and wildlife habitat and all those things really appreciate it. You know, well, I, I appreciate you having, having us on and appreciate what you guys are doing there at Talk. you know, just get, continue to keep the fight up. I appreciate you bringing, you know, so many ranchers into this fold, um, so many producers and, I know I've been able to meet quite a few just through our relationship and I hope I get to meet many more, but I'm thankful to be a part of, you know, a lot of these relationships because of you and, and y'all's organization and, and hope that continues to grow. And I think it will. And so we're appreciate, appreciate having me on tonight and uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, some others enjoy, enjoy this conversation. Appreciate it again, Michael. And as uh, we wrap up today's episode, I really want to leave you all with this thought. You know, land stewardship isn't just about protecting the land. You know, it's really about safeguarding our future and the challenges we face today. You know, we will uh, will be met by the generations that follow. And it's really our collective uh, responsibility to ensure that they inherit uh, a Texas that, you know, is as vibrant and productive as the one we know it today, right? It's it's about how do we keep Texas, Texas? And so whether, you know, you're experienced land steward or someone just beginning their journey, you know, just remember your actions matter. Mentorship, as, as Michael mentioned, adaptation, being flexible uh, to the market trends and a commitment to preservation of all play a vital role in securing our legacy of our Texas working lands. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, on this episode of Beyond the Fence Line and keep the conversation alive. Keep learning, keep stewarding our lands for generations yet to come. And so stay tuned for, for more uh, enlightening discussions on, the, on our podcast next month. And uh, again, have a blessed one. Thank you. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.